if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. So before we get started on today's subject, which has been quite controversial of late and I think of an interest to all horse lovers, I just want to talk to you about horse welfare because this subject we're talking about today is particularly important regarding horse welfare. So if horse welfare is of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses, now within the courses at International Horse College, you'll only see methods that promote safe and humane methods of interaction between horses and humans. So have a look now, if you're interested in horse welfare, if that's important to you, go to internationalhorsecollege.com. Now this subject we've got today, we've brought on Julianne Humphreys again, who's been a previous guest, of course, on Horse Chats. Now Julianne's an eventer, but she's opened up a subject here and um, she wants to bring it into a positive light and offer solutions, because that's just the sort of person she is. She's solution-orientated. And she's making a suggestion from, you know, we call her a mediator. She'll talk about whether she's a mediator or, or what. Her point of view, how we can possibly manage better the number of off-the-track horses going to abattoirs. Okay, so I'll introduce Julianne. Julianne, how are you? Um, well, thanks, Glenys. Thanks very much for having me back and thanks for helping me uh, raise this discussion. And, I, yeah, I think it, it's just simply a discussion. I'm not an expert on any particular statistic and I'm not an advocate on any particular party here, but more, I guess, uh, for the greater good of horses and horse sport in general. Yeah, it's, um, it's good to be able to have a chat. Thank you. I think this is an important subject. You know, I'm going back possibly a little bit longer than you. There were no warm bloods in Australia. Everyone rode thoroughbreds. We went to the Olympics on thoroughbreds and won gold medals on thoroughbreds. And yes. everywhere, everywhere, you know, as soon as you got over a certain age at Pony Club, you got a thoroughbred. You know, you sort of graduated yes. from ponies to a thoroughbred, most of them off the yes. track. Okay, so that was, it was really a part of Australia's sporting history, you know, and I think I think everyone on the call, even though they may not have quite had the background with thoroughbreds and overseas people as well don't have, you know, there's, there's quite a large number of thoroughbreds or off the track horses in Australia. Mm. You know, if you're a horse lover and if you're worried about horse welfare, I think this is a problem that's been raised by not just the horse industry, but by people across, you know, I mean, there was a big story that came up on a news channel that went across the general population and a lot of people were horrified, yeah. threw their arms up in the air. And I think the racing industry has certainly improved since then. Yep. But yes. Now, are you a mediator? Like, who are the stakeholders here? Let's talk about the stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I think... Um... I'm in favour, like, let's face it, I, I'm in favour of a well-run abattoir. I, that, I'm quite happy with that. Doesn't It doesn't, um, I don't have any problem with that. Um, I am a big supporter of the horse racing industry right throughout, whether it be breeding, owning, training, riding, you know, and I've had a... Can we just go back to the abattoir again before everyone just turns off yeah. and goes, oh, no, I'm not listening to this. Julianne's in favour of, yeah. of abattoirs. So when yeah. you're saying a well-run yeah. abattoir, not 
one where horses are mistreated, where horses are going along there and they don't know what's coming, they're not mistreated, they're basically just there one moment, not the other, but horse welfare is a top consideration there because there are times that horses, horses get terrible injuries and are in pain. And I think, honestly, Glenys, I, I think that that light has already been um, spotlighted. Like, I think that the focus has already been there for quite a while now. And I think the abattoir, you know, they're already being scrutinised. Yes. Um, so I think I think that boat, that boat's sailing quite well. And I, I think there's results already in that area. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, they're certainly being watched. So I, I think that's, you know, um, as I say, a well-run abattoir. Like, for instance, my one of my last thoroughbreds that I, you know, kept for many years, actually, before I sold her, she was born in an abattoir. You know, the gentleman in the abattoir was so nice that they saw the mare was in foal. They just put her out in the paddock in part of the the, um, the complex yep. and um, let the mare have the foal and um, then actually found them a home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those, those, the mare and the foal never got to see any of the other bits that go on that, yep. that you know, the reason why they actually turned up there in the first place. But, you know, the, you know these people that, that run these places and work in these places, they're often very, very humane people. And they just, you know, everybody's cat has to eat, you know, everybody's dog has to eat. Where, you know, where do people think that that meat comes from? Mm-hmm. You know, so these are things when I've done my research to raise this discussion, these are the points that people have made to me. You know, so there's, you know, so yeah, a well-run abattoir, not nothing where you see any cruelty or anything like that, you know, but just a well-run abattoir that's very humane. All right. Um, I just wanted to make sure we yeah. cleared that up before we went Absolutely. on and talked about the other stakeholders. So yeah, keep talking about the other stakeholders. Yeah, so we've, you know, then of course there's the racing industry, like the horse, the the racehorse industry complete. So you know, right from the owners and the breeders and the and the you know then there's the sales and and then they end up on the track and they got the trainers and the riders and the you know there's a it's a massive industry yeah yeah and yep. It, and it's you know again the spotlight's already there there's they're already being scrutinized that well part of it is being scrutinized and we'll talk about maybe some parts that are not scrutinized but um you know your trainers, uh, for instance. You know the trainers are already being scrutinised. Um, the actual horse race events are being scrutinised. All of that. You know the lights already there. Um, and I'm in. I'm definitely as I say. I I love horse racing. I, I think horses love racing. Mm, mm. Um, so I'm I'm happy there. And then your third party that's very involved here is all of the organisations that are uh, running programs that that cover the aftercare of these horses when they are not racing. Yep, yep, like when they've retired from racing, yep. For, for whatever reason, they might not even make it to their first race. Right, You know, yep. they, they, you know they're just a horse that was bred for racing. It has a registration, but... It, it, you know, some of them don't even make it to the first race. 
Yes. Some of them yeah. have a full and, and very successful racing career and everything in between. And so there's organisations already in full swing looking after that. But we still seem to have a problem, don't we? So what do you think is the core <laughs> of the problem then? You know, are we breeding too many horses? Are we just not, I, I don't know, tell, yeah. tell me what the core of the problem well, is. I, I've been watching this just as a sideliner for such a long time now, many, many years. And I think for many, many years we've been, you know, watching so many racehorses being born. And, you know, I don't even completely just talk about thoroughbreds. It can be the standard breeds as well. But, you know, there's a lot of racehorses being born and they're not really scrutineered on the types that are being born. So they can be born as a roarer. They can be born with really bad leg defects. They can be born, you know, with um, parrot mouth. You know, they can, they can have all of these issues that are genetic thrown issues that, you know, passed on down a line. And um, how often did, you know, like I've heard of people go, oh, all that line of roarers, you know, all that line have parrot mouths. You know, all that line seemed to be behind at the knee there, back at the knee. You know, like things that things that actually do affect the horse for the rest of its life. And um, I think that so the, the core, the, the first link in the chain seems to be the last link being addressed and it's barely addressed. It's like its own, it's barely even looked at as where there's such a huge amount of focus on all the other links of the chain as the horse is um, going throughout its life because these days, as soon as you put in your registration for your foal, its data is followed all the way through its life till the day it dies. And, you know, that's something that, you know, the RSPCA and, and um, the, you know... Um, Racing Australia and and um, breed, you know the breeding authority of Australia. They've all they've all gotten together and created this database. But the first link in the chain is the core of it. You know, it, it's not, and it's it's the one that's barely looked at. They're all. If you read, you know, you hear the news, you read all the stories, you're just in the industry, so you can see what's going on, and you see that the aftercare and the scrutineering of what's happening while it's racing, all of that part is the part that all of the focus is on and, you know, to the degree where trainers are frightened at the moment. You know, if if their horse, when they say, oh, look, sorry, mate, your horse is too slow, Um, you know, we need to find it a home, the trainers are really scared where it might end up. Mm, okay. Because they 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 can get their license revoked and they can they can get huge fines, you know. So these days, for me as an eventer, before I take on a horse to put it in my eventing stable, the trainer says to me, "Now, what's going to happen to him if he doesn't make an eventer?" They're, they're frightened, but no one's scared to breed them. Yes, yes. You know, they probably think that they've got a thoroughbred mare, they've just got to find a cheap stallion and uh, all of a sudden they might have a brilliant horse. But, you know, when you look at brilliant horses, they're, they're usually ones that have got top sires, top dams, uh, and they come from a good line. They do, they do. It's like and a daydream, isn't it? It's just a dream. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, well, 
I understand not all horses are perfect and finding the horse with the perfect confirmation is like finding, you know, a needle in a haystack that doesn't exist. But, you know, if you, like, let's say we had some kind of um, body, a governing body that can scrutineer what would be a, um, a birth defect that is genetically passed on that might hinder this horse's life. Yep. You know, it'll hinder its, its, you know, it could make it dangerous on the track. It might, you know, it, it might make it so that it, it could cause an accident on the track or it could make it so that when it's, you know, it, it races and then it's, it's after, you know, it's career after racing or it's, you know, happy days in the paddock, it might turn out as poor as a crow because it can't eat grass because it's a parrot mouth. This brings us back to the abattoirs that, you know, sometimes it can be going to an abattoir is better than starving to death in a paddock. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that I would think that kinder, mm. much kinder, you know, but that's a personal opinion, I suppose. Um, I'm trying to look at this, you know, in a view of, you know, just really I'm trying to just be a fence sitter and just look at the facts on what we can see happening. And the fact is that that first link in the chain is not addressed. There's no capping on breeding, the numbers. The numbers are not capped at all. So what have you got? Have you got numbers on how many are being born and then how many of those are finishing up at the abattoir? Yeah, well, isn't that an interesting thing, Glennis? I, I have searched everywhere. And you cannot find a statistic on that that you can trust. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Everywhere you look, there's a different figure. Yep. What sort of ranges are they? Well, it's huge. It's ridiculous. I won't even go there. But there's obviously enough. There's enough being born that there's too many coming off the track or not even making it to the track. We know that there's too many not making it on the racetrack because we're having this huge problem of, you know, what do we do with all these thoroughbreds? So we're, you know, creating these off-the-track classes at the shows and doing all this nice stuff. But, you know, the short and the long of it is that there's too many and it's obviously creating a problem because that's what all the big hoo-ha is about at the moment is the fact that, you know, there's so many of them. And the people that are, you know, trying to do the right thing, creating those um, rehabilitation facilities for the off-the-trackers, you know, to rehome them and all that, you know, they're, they're strapped to the boards. They've got so many thoroughbreds coming out their ears that, um, you know, that, that are not that great, like, you know, in the way that, they're not really built for eventing, which is a shame, like they used to be, you know. They they used to be real nice big middle distance, long distance horses that we could event and we didn't have to go looking for our warm blood lines. But now we're sort of forced to go looking for warm blood lines because the masses that that are being produced are all short distance. Well, you know, the bulk of them are short distance runners. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. 
So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. But even thoroughbreds, the way, you know, I mean, they're trained to gallop. That's what they're trained to do. So they learn that, they gallop, they do some, that's what they've got as their flight response and they can really gallop. And that makes it so that they're not suitable for everyone. There's a lot of people that haven't got the balance, the coordination, the skill to be able to ride, the the confidence to be able to Mm -hmm. have a thoroughbred and have that quick flight response. You know, that can make them a dangerous horse, even though there's no problem at all. They've got to have the right owner and the right training. Yeah, this is so true. This is so true. You know, like there's horrific stories of, um, you know, places that have tried to do the right thing and give these off-the-track horses nice forever homes and then it's gone terribly wrong and, and uh, you know, there's even fatalities of um, people that have come out of that. You know, people have tried to ride them and it's gone very bad. Yeah, there was a very public one a while ago where a girl was enrolled in a Jillaroo course and died and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Royal Commission... That- afterwards and and that was and off that a was off, off the track off the track yep. yep yes it was and you know he was probably a beautiful well actually i think i know uh, he actually was a beautiful horse he turned out to be rather good under the right rider yep but not the sort of horse that you can just put any rider with he's not a school pony no no, no. Not by any means. So the main reason then the horses are finishing at the abattoir, what you're saying is that because even if we had the quality, even if we had like a restriction on the stallions or a restriction and said they've got to be sound, they've got to have the legs that we need and eliminate the parrot mouth and and things like that. So even if the quality improved, we'd still have a lot of horses ending up the abattoir. So... Are you saying that the numbers are too high? I mean, why are these horses ending up at the abattoir? Is it because of the numbers? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Is it because of the numbers or is it just because of the the quality? Um, now, I'm, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm looking at the other areas that are already uh, got the wheels in in motion of this type of capping and scrutineering, you might say. So, for instance, with dogs these days, you know, if so that what they've done is they've made it that you have to be a registered breeder to breed the dogs that have papers and those dogs that have papers have to come with certifiable proof that they don't pass on hip dysplasia you know, so the wheel's already turning, you know, in, like, why aren't these wheels turning in the racehorse industry? That's my question. So so just, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking about Hong Kong. You know, the Hong Kong Jockey mm-hmm. Club 
you know, because racing's very popular, they didn't want to send the racehorses just anywhere. So they actually started riding schools. And there's, you know, there's a few riding schools there. Now, I'm not 100% sure on this. You know, I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times. I've been to the riding schools. I've been to the racetrack. I understand, I think, a little bit of the idea is that the owners, the trainers, the breeders, somehow in the registration, a certain portion of that goes towards contributing to the off-the-track horse's welfare. So they, the horse, the riding schools get these horses, but they're actually paid to take care of them. Would that itself restrict the numbers? You know, that if there was fees, fees associated with the breeding, the registration, the racing and everything else, and then a certain percentage of those fees went towards the ongoing care of thoroughbreds after they finish racing... Is that a way to restrict the numbers? Because people, instead of breeding their own horse, would be more likely to go into a syndicate with other people. So instead of 10 people breeding a horse each, they'd have one horse between the 10 of them. Yeah. Is that, well, you know, is that a suggestion? Yeah. Yeah, you look at flow-on effects and so on um, and, how, you know, just how, how you'd actually run it. Now, if you were to cap the numbers and if you were to scrutiny of the, the stock that's being bred, the animal itself would be worth more. So a stud fee would get higher, I'm imagining, and the foal on the ground, would the, the sale price of that would get higher. So you'd probably end up with a, a world where the, there's a little bit more money to spend on each horse and uh, thinking a few less horses is that sort of mm. and then you know as you say like there's all like at the moment i read a thing now i'm just this is off my memory which is you know that's not notes written in front of me but i think even this morning i read a thing that said that there's um so that you, you can there's uh, association of australia um 35 cents from each Whole return, I think it was, goes toward the aftercare of the foal, and with only thirty-five cents attached to it, they make enough money to fund their organisation that actually takes care of all that data and so on. Like it, you know. Obviously, there's basically the the, the detail that I took out of that was. Geez, there must have been there must be a lot of foals being born if you only need to take thirty five cents. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. Like, yep. Really? <laughs> that's that's, that's just unfathomable, really. But it, so the wheels are already turning a little bit, you know. Like the wheels are already turning, and the RSPCA's already got a little. They got their thing written about. Like a, they're only got like one line written about the the. Um, you know, focus and restrictions and things on the breeding, and then they got about four pages written on aftercare. Mm, mm. You know what I mean? But they're already they're looking there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just nothing's getting done. So there's been a lot of you know extra classes, extra classes, extra recognition, extra funding available for these horses, and people are starting to get the benefits because they are athletes. They're bred as athletes, and you know some yes. of them can really, really jump. 
Some of them are lovely. Some of them are really good for the budget-conscious person who's very keen on horses, wants to get ahead, prepared to put the time and the effort and work in to get a lovely horse. So there's been a lot of funding there. So I know you're talking about capping the numbers because that funding is not catering for all the horses. But if if the fees were increased to cater for more horses then that automatically caps the numbers without saying, right, we're not going to breed anymore. Instead of having that hard, we're just not going to do it anymore, the numbers are being capped because of the cost of keeping racehorses and keeping them going, which, of course, you know, then that turns to the, you know, the punters, I suppose, in the end, they they end up paying more. But that's just the way it is. But we, we need to look after the horse because the horse comes in it, um, you know, it's born into racing, it races, it does its job. We need to then look after it afterwards. This is the, the thing. And, and and so I also have viewed it in a way that, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, we're considering the greater good of the horse. Yes, right? I we're, think so. We're I not think that's important. an advocate for anyone, any one party. But, so you look at what's been done already as I say, look at other areas where this is type of things already been done. So, for instance, abalone in Australia. Uh, abalone, it had to be a certain size, and you could only take so many. And you could only go ab diving and take your quota if you were a registered, certified abalone diver. Okay, and then they also said, and we can only sell them overseas. Well, that's a shame, but anyway. Um, now, with that, th- those rules were brought in because, uh, you know, uh, uh, the governing bodies there thought it best to preserve abalone. They're doing it for the greater good. They're not doing it for the ab diver. They're not doing it for the restaurant. They're not doing it for the consumer. They're, they're doing it for the greater good of abalone. Now, can we do something for the greater good of horses that is of the like? You know, like go back to the first link. Go back to the harvesting, the first link. Yep, yep. the quality you know, of the horse. Yep. Yeah, the, yeah the, 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 your scrutiny of what you're actually producing and and cap the numbers somehow, whether that be like the... I say the dog people or even the abalone people. They, you know, it's it's registered breeders. You know, they they're the so that's how they that's the, their effective way of capping it because you know any Joe Blogs can't just go and breed heaps and heaps of them. You know, and produce them with papers and certificates and so on. It's the registered breeders that do that. Um, you know, can that happen with with racehorses? Well, you know, that's my question. There's lots of questions here, Julianne, and I think that the main thing is that we're looking for is a solution. So I would oh. um, certainly welcome listeners, you know, if they have another point of view or, or just a supportive point of view that we're just looking for a solution. What is the solution to these off-the-track horses, the numbers, the huge numbers of the off-the-track horses going to abattoirs in Australia? And I think if you've got solutions, then let us know. If people have got solutions, Julianne, what's your contact details if they want to contact you about it? Well, uh, <laughs> my email is probably best, um, ja at equestrianlessons.com.au. And, um, yeah, it's interesting that I, I 
put forward my email to be contacted on this. And I must remind people, I'm not an expert in this field. I'm just simply someone that's ridden thoroughbreds for many, many years now. I have trained, I have done track work, I have been to the sales and done the, the yearling sales. You know, I've sort of had my finger in the pie, In a, even the thoroughbred studs, I've worked there, all of this. I'm not claiming to be an expert, I'm not claiming to be an advocate for any particular party. I had um, half my people, like I, I researched this quite a lot, and um, with various different people that are within the industry, and even people just as sideliners that are interested in horses, all kinds of people I actually interviewed prior to you and I having our chat today. And um, there was a few people that said, oh, gee, you know, you're going to really raise fire here, you know, like you're, you're playing with fire raising this subject. And I'm thinking, well, is it possible that we can just, you know, raise the subject in a really passive way, that re just a really constructive way, that is for the greater good of horses, not as an advocate for, you know, any one particular party. So, yeah, that's – I'd be interesting to see what emails I get. <laughs> yeah, um, if you're coming from a few different areas, you're coming from, you know, I ride horses, I ride thoroughbreds, I've got a little bit of a back racing background, I'm looking for a solution, you know, and that's the way it's come across to me. Because you're, you're not an advocate for any particular party very strongly, you're just saying, what's the solution here? You know, if we keep talking yeah. about it and, uh, you know, then we're going to come up with a solution. But if we avoid the subject, the solution's not going to arrive. And I think, yeah, the, the issue that I guess that I found along the way um, well, the first positive part of it was that everybody agreed that there's too many and the quality's disappearing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every single person that I interviewed agreed with that, no matter where they came from within the industry. But the second thing that some of them agreed with was, well, I get, yeah, that, that you won't keep everybody happy. Mm. You won't completely satisfy everybody. And I guess that's, that's the tricky part that people don't want to deal with. I think you've just got to satisfy the majority, haven't you? Isn't that what politicians do? Well, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping we satisfy horses and mm. I'm hoping in the long run, you know, like, as I say, I look at I look at the, the other wheels that are turning in other areas and, yeah, sure, there's a few people that are disgruntled that they can't breed 4,000 German shepherds in their backyard um, or, you know, there's a few people disgruntled that they can't go and come home with a whole bag of abs on a weekend. Um, you know, there's going to be a few dis sort of half disgruntled people out there, no matter which way you, you sort of uh, manage it. But I think even at the moment, people aren't satisfied. They're not satisfied right now. Mm. Mm. So it's a little bit like ripping the Band-Aid off, you know, like, it's sort of going to hurt a little anyway, but it might, you know, it might be for the greater good of horses, I'm hoping. And and then, you know, people settle into the idea and hopefully it actually affects people in a good way where, you know, they're getting paid more for what they do and yeah. the horses are worth more and there's less injuries on the track, less accidents on the track. You know, if the horses are not having problems, you know, they're, 
they're going to perform better and then they're going to have a better afterlife because they are performing well and they're, they're not, you know, quality horses. Yeah. And I think if you're interested in this, you know, looking at it for the greater good, you know, and I think if you've got solutions, contact Julianne. And Julianne, you know, if you get a, get a flood of inquiries and you change your thoughts on this, it'd be great to have you back again. But whatever you, whatever you talk about, mm. Julianne, you know, you've already covered a couple of good topics. So certainly we'd love to um, have you back again. And I think any subject that you raise is going to um, just create an awareness or, or just give people the education that they're looking for in this podcast so you're certainly a welcome guest and we'd love to have you back soon oh thank you very much really appreciate it Glenis thanks for your time talk to you soon bye bye talk soon bye if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests then please contact us through horsechats.com and while you're online have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com registered training organization 31352 Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 